Thank you, Lauren and Rochelle. Good morning, everyone. I'm Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. Today, we're going to talk about fear, not to fear, all month long, how we can listen to the angel that, uh, that testified to Joseph and to Mary and to the shepherds. He said the same thing. Don't fear. Fear not. Don't be afraid. He said it to all of them, and yet, Americans, I think, were as fearful as ever. (laughs) Uh, The question I want to answer this morning is this. How do I put my trust in God instead of fearing others? In particular, what others say about me or perhaps (laughs) would like to do to me. (laughs) How do I put my trust in God instead of fearing what others might be thinking about me? The fear of man is a trap. How do I do that? It's not easy. Uh, I, I'm going to start a little, a little more serious this morning. I remember as a kid, I was be, uh, fearful. I was a little elementary kid, and I remember two twin brothers would frequently come up to me and kick me in the shins. It was kind of their routine. And uh, it happened over and over again. And it started to make me nervous, like these two guys, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. I went to my grandpa, and I asked him for a little, a little, a little input. Uh, my grandfather, uh, I found out later, flew uh, 25 missions over Germany during World War II. He was a bombardier, and uh, so he handled things a little less appropriately than, than most people would have coached their seven-year-old. I went up, and I said, Grandpa, these two boys, they kick me in the shin, they do it, Every day, what do I do? And I, he looked at me and he said, Scotty, this is what you do. You pull your shoulder back really hard. <laughs> and you pull your fist together. And it gets a little gross here. He says, you don't pass out anyone here, cat." He said, you aim for the Adam's apple. And I'm like, you know, again, I'm seven or eight. I'm like, uh, what's the Adam's apple? Oh, it's this right here. Why would you do that? Yeah, he's because you're going you're gonna to punch four inches higher usually, you're, the way your arm goes. And here I am, you know, doing the physics of this, okay? And I'm thinking, okay, so he says, and you'll hit him in the jaw, and you'll knock one of them out. All of a sudden, I'm scared to death, okay? <laughs> so I go home, and I'm, I'm like going through this. All right, so I, I got to do this, and then when they, they kick me in the shin, how many times do I let them kick me? And, uh, and, then, and then what happens if, it doesn't work. There's two of them. <laughs> I was fearful and thankful that these guys never kicked me in the shin again. I'm so glad it just never happened again. Uh, it, was, it, it was nice to be done with that. I'd still like to know, though, why did you guys not like me? What was the deal? <laughs> so I made fun of you all the time. What was the deal? No, I'm just kidding. I don't even remember. The reason I share that is because we live in a different culture now, don't we? where it's way more elevated than that. Uh, There are things that are legitimate to be uh, concerned about. And uh, I want to share a video with you, and it's it's real-life video that shares what Americans are fearful of. Thank you for that. That was fun. Uh, So uh, I want you to see it and just watch. It's just uh, there'll be stats up there that show you the kind of fears people have. And then we'll talk about the question, how do I put my trust in God instead of uh, fearing what others might be thinking about me or wanting to do to me? 
controversial this morning at all. We're a fearful people. Uh, I was really shocked to hear about the kind of fears that we have. I mean, that's, that's coming from uh, a little over 1,500 that were polled. Uh, I tell you what, I just get, I'm fearful of mice. <laughs> uh, I'm fearful of rats. I'll never forget, we had a rat in our home here in Natomas Park. Oh, my word. I'm up on the dining room table telling someone to come, get me out of this room. It scares me to death. Uh, I don't like seeing doctors necessarily. I respect their work. I just don't necessarily like to hang out with them. Um, I, how many, I'm afraid, I don't like dogs chasing me when I'm running. It's hard enough. <laughs> really? <laughs> Gosh, I'm out running, minding my own business, and some dog thinks I'm about ready to invade his space in a park and wants to tear my leg off. I don't enjoy that. Uh, I, how about you? I don't think I'm afraid of heights at about three feet. Anyone get afraid uh, of heights? Um, I used to love flying in airplanes until you know more about what's actually happening. You're in a bus at three, at 30,000 feet flying six to 700 miles an hour and everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Anybody sometimes planes? Yeah. You wish you knew less. Uh, (laughs) I, I don't know about you. Sometimes, uh, I, I used to think snakes were amazing until I got close to one, and all of a sudden, yeah! Uh, so if you ever want to go camping, uh, please don't invite me. I, I won't be helpful at all. There are just fears that we all have. How about anyone get uncomfortable in an elevator with 20 other people? Uh, there's a, no doubt an ease of getting uh, claustrophobic. What, what's the origin of our fears, of these kind of fears? And they, it, it surprises me. Some of the fears. Do you know some people are just afraid of thunder and lightning? Just thunder and lightning. Anybody? Any volunteers say, yep, don't, don't do the thunder and lightning. How many of you are like, I love thunder and lightning? Yeah, me too. That's awesome. Why? They, here's, here's what 
uh, here's what I think the origin of our fears are. You fear because you're putting your faith in someone or something else that's, that's not God. You fear because you're putting your faith in someone or something else other than God. And we try to put our, uh, our faith in something that's stable and reliable, like uh, our, our money, our cash flow, uh, our savings, our talents, our good looks, <laughs> um, stability, our neighborhood, um, maybe our job performance. We try to put our faith there, thinking that's going to give me stability. My health. We try to put our faith there, thinking that's going to give us stability. But we know deeply that those things change. (laughs) Uh, At least from my experience, those things change. And so the challenge is is putting our faith in God and, and His presence when some of those things really shift or shake underneath us. And our world gets rocked. (laughs) And the folks that call adventure their home, we go through seasons where our worlds get rocked. Like things happen that never saw that coming. And uh, we get scared. I I remember uh, when Jeremy told me, uh, Jeremy Jones, our recent next-gen pastor, told me that he had accepted a job at another church in Southern California, Dana Point. No, not Dana Point. It was too close to Dana Point. San Diego. I was afraid. I was like, oh, how my word. I'm, don't leave me, please. <laughs> and uh, there was fear there. Things happen in our lives that shake us up. <laughs> and we don't expect them. We don't see them coming. How do you handle them? Especially how do you handle them when it, it's coming from someone maybe you, um, you look up to, you respect, you look for their approval, their positive feedback, and maybe... You're not getting it, and uh, you can be influenced by people too much sometimes. If you're not careful, you can let someone's word, someone's unintentional uh, act, someone's unconscientious uh, uh, word really affect you negatively and get you down and make you very vulnerable to a lot of temptation. And I love the words that come from one of the greatest men in the Bible besides Jesus. It's David. He said this, the Lord is my stronghold. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Uh, of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27. Oh, he had this resting place, this stronghold in his own kind of persona, his own vibe, where he could deal with folks being contrary to him, even Pursuing him to the point of, uh, of hostility, he could handle that. It's because he pursued putting his faith and trust in God above everything. In that very psalm, he says this, The one thing I ask of you, God, this I ask from the Lord. This was his one ask. <laughs> Only one thing do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. He wanted to continue to experience God's presence. And it was God's presence that was going to help him deal with a a crazy boss, really, literally crazy, going to help him deal with that very boss who was pursuing him for his life, 
going to help him deal with all the conflicts at work, um, help him deal with uh, his family. He had a terribly challenging family situation that, uh, yeah, you don't even want to talk about. (laughs) I don't. How do you deal with this stuff? Hey, he put his faith in God instead of putting his faith in people and what they thought of him. And the reason I think today's message is so important is because we need people. I'm not, this is not a message about isolation. It's the opposite. We're a church where people matter. And we want you to know you matter. Uh, we want this community to know this, that she matters. <laughs> this community matters to us. And so this is not a message about isolation. It's the opposite. It's about putting your faith in God trusting and obeying him. And when you do that, people are going to matter more to you than you can even imagine. In a sentence, the answer to the question, how do you put your trust in God instead of fearing what others might be thinking of you? It's this simple answer. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. When you are facing hardship, when your life is shaken, when folks you trust seem like they're going a different direction, your job is to do what David did and what the person we're going to talk about did today. You trust what God's saying about you, and you obey what God is telling you to do. That's it. You trust what God's saying to you, and you obey what God's telling you to do. And in that, You'll be able to say, one thing I ask of you, Lord, that I may dwell in your presence, that I may enjoy you personally. And this is not, this is not abdicating responsibility. This is owning it and moving forward and really, uh, really enjoying people, even when you have conflict with them. Have you seen the Netflix feature American Genius episodes? I just saw my first one. It featured uh, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs both competing for uh, software and computers. I had no idea these guys actually corroborated so much. I had no idea that when Jobs was going under, they were, I think, a month or two away from losing everything. He called Bill Gates for a $150 million loan, which I think he had in his wallet. It was, I mean, and I had no idea that when when Gates um, promised software to IBM, he didn't have it. He walked out, found a guy who'd made some and bought it from him for $50,000. The guy thought he hit the jackpot. Little did he know what that was going to be worth, (laughs) that software that became Windows. Uh, But this is, or rather DOS, this is an example of how we, when we're we're posing the question, how do we we protect ourselves from, from putting our trust in what others are saying about us? That doesn't mean you don't want to engage in relationships that help you grow and corroborate with people. But it does mean you don't, want to f- you don't want to give the final word to others. You want to give the final word to what God's saying. You want to give the final word to what God's saying to do. And let me tell you, 2,000 years ago, that's what Jesus' stepdad did, Joseph. 
wouldn't you like to know how he did it so that you're not going to be led by your fear of what others think about you? Wouldn't you like to have that freedom to know how do you trust and obey? That seems so archaic. How do you do it? I'm going to show you this morning briefly. If you came this morning with a Bible or a phone, you have one of the two, my guess, uh, or a donut. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew spelled M-A-T-T-H-E-W. You can Google it. Um, Matthew 1. We're actually going to be in chapter 2. I'm sorry. Matthew 2. It'll come right up. And I read from the New International Version. So it's the simplest that most people use. That's why I use it. All right. Here we go. Let's just look at how Jesus' stepdad, Joseph, he how he just trusted and obeyed Um, because there's really no other way to find real happiness that we're looking for. Here it is, beginning in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Let's stop there right now. Okay, there are three different segments or phases to a Hebrew marriage. (laughs) Take notes here, dads, if you've got plans for your daughters. I think they're really impressive. The first is engagement. It can begin as early as age two or three years old. Wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) We've got kids engaging right now in the nursery. Uh, It's all you, you see, you see someone, you see a handsome guy you like in your first grade class. Mom and dad, I think that's the one. All right, we'll call his parents. We'll make it happen. Engagement can begin very early, and it was something that was negotiated by the parents. How many of you parents are like, let's do this? Yes! I'm thinking about it. I got three left. Anyone interested? Let's talk. Let's, we'll just tell them it's God's will. <laughs> he spoke to us. <laughs> There's a, we got some great families here. I'd be proud, proud for my uh, husbands to serve their daughters. Uh, so phase one is engagement, handled by the parents. Uh, The second phase is espousal, and that's the phase that Mary and Joseph are in. Espousal begins, it's that last year before you're married, and they're in that espousal period where you're spending a whole lot more time together. In fact, you spend tons of time. If you've you've seen uh, any Hebrew courtship films, Desafin says, I'm pregnant. I don't know how she said that, Uh, how he heard that, but you can imagine the thoughts going through his mind. I mean, what? You have to understand, Joseph actually was a guy who took his life seriously. He, he honored the law. We know about that, and we're going to read it here in just a moment. He honored, honored what the law said. He knew who he was. According to this Matthew genealogy, that is that follows he's a descendant of David through David's son Solomon. He knew he had right to the throne. Joseph himself had right to the throne by uh, his birthright. Joseph himself, except for one exception. There was a king in I think it's in verse 11 named Jeconiah, and that king had a curse pronounced against him that he would not have a descendant on the throne. And so Joseph may or may not have known that He knew he had royal lineage, but there was a hiccup in his genealogy. It's fascinating. Now, the other follower of Jesus who wrote prolifically, uh, Dr. Luke, 
notes that it was Mary who it was Mary's um, Mary's ancestry that was also connected to David without a hiccup because in her ancestry it was from David's son Nathan as opposed to Solomon that Joseph had. And so they both realize they have some special lineage. I mean, if you're related to David, you're special, man. You've got the right, you've got, the, you've got good genes. Uh, you've got good DNA. You're probably going to do well in, uh, in school. You're probably going to be a decent athlete. I mean, life's looking good for you. Well, all of a sudden, her being pregnant changes everything. Think about this. You've, I don't mean to generalize, but you know the Middle East is still is still, uh, when it comes to judgment and, uh, and carrying out um, civil justice, is brutal. <laughs> I don't think that's an exaggeration. Is brutal. They were brutal in the first century. Your fiancé comes to you and says she's pregnant. The first thing that comes to mind is, literally, she, if we don't hide her, she's going to be punished. And it's, it's not just a spanking. According to the law, she was to be stoned, really, stoned. And Joseph's thinking, oh, my word, I do everything I'm supposed to do. I'm trusting and obeying. I'm trusting and obeying. Uh, There's no other way to be happy in Yahweh than trust and obey. And all of a sudden, my bride is telling me she's pregnant. How in the And she's telling me that God did it. That's getting weird. You know, why is this so weird? Now, just in case some of you are like, what is he talking about? So in the narrative, the angel of the Lord, presumably Gabriel, is telling Joseph that the Holy Spirit has caused Mary to conceive outside of intimacy with any man. She, she remains a virgin. The Holy Spirit caused her to conceive, okay? The problem is there's no precedent for this. It's not like Joey can say, yeah, my Uncle Ralph had that happen with his wife too. It's crazy. It's happening in our family. No, he can't say, oh, yeah, Abraham, yeah, he had kind of a weird thing. No, there's no precedent for this. There's no example. There's no, yeah, that happened back. Yes, that happened in the other part of the county here too. It's weird. The water around here is making things happen. No, 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 no. There's no, there's no precedent for this except the Bible, which In 700 B.C., Isaiah the prophet said, Behold, virgin will conceive the Messiah. See, Joseph had some input as to what was happening in the Scriptures. The Scriptures have that kind of power to speak to our particular situations and coach us and lead us in whatever way our lives are shaking up. The scriptures give us the opportunity to trust. Look at how he continues to trust here. So you can see, uh, but before they came together, she was found pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, as I mentioned earlier, and yet he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. There's a good man. There's a good man. Uh, a young man who will honor a woman during their courtship will continue on a, that kind of trajectory. There's a good man. He didn't want to disgrace her, but he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, during the espousal period, a divorce was required to break off that high level of engagement. Okay? <laughs> Don't you wish we had 
that for an engagement, <laughs> we're going to divorce. Yeah, we're not carrying through with our engagement. That'd be a lot better than, than the temptation we have to just move into marriage so quickly. Uh, we did a ceremony a couple weeks ago in Tahoe, and we told the couple, uh, we told the wedding party that, hey, this couple has been through 10 weeks of premarital counseling. And I was approached by one of the groomsmen. He's like, dude, 10 weeks? Are you serious? What did you talk about? I said, everything, money, sex, communication, you know, who's going to do the dishes? Who's going to do the chores in the house? Where are you going to live? He's like, whoa, I've never thought of that. And he goes, you know what? I like your vibe. Can I get some, can I get some marital counseling? I'm like, you know you can. You know you can. Marriage, marriage is to be honored, and he's trying to honor it here. So he wants to divorce her to protect her. He wants to do what's right. There was nothing wrong about a divorce in this situation. Uh, where did he get all this input? Where did he get this kind of direction? Because he had a lot of op- options. He could have said, hey, Mary, uh, I'm get- you're stressing me. I'm going to move back in with my parents and work on my online gaming for full time. Mary, you're stressing me. Um, I'm going to just dive into the construction field that I'm in. Uh, I'm just going to dive into my work. This is just too much. Or uh, Mary, uh, you're st- I'm just going to run away and make this problem go away. Or hey, there's a, there's a new liquor store down by the lake. I'm just going to go hang out there and see if my problems will go away. No, 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 no. Joseph... Though he had lots to be concerned about, what are my parents going to think? What is the rabbi at the synagogue going to think? What, hey, what about this, this government I'm under? This boy's a king. What about Herod the Great? He's going to hear about him shortly. Herod the Great was not a guy to mess with. He was not a stately guy. They say Herod the Great was a little over four feet tall. I'm five, eight, so that's like here, <laughs> And uh, yet he was a scary guy, and he was intimidated by anyone that wanted to be king over Israel. God wanted his son Jesus to be king over Israel. Herod the Great is known to have killed his own sons because of their threat to the throne. He killed his own wife, Miriam, and uh, later had a statue created of her because he felt bad and missed her. All of them nice. Uh, at his death, Herod the Great insisted that all of his officers be killed so that someone would be mourning his death. I'm serious. Joseph had reason to be afraid. (laughs) Wow. What do you do when you're afraid of what others might be thinking or planning or manipulating or marginalizing in your life? What you do is you trust. How do you trust God? You trust what he's saying about you. And what God said about Joseph is that that boy that you've got, is the gift to the world. God trusted what God was saying. Joseph trusted what God was saying to Joseph when he read in Isaiah, this son is to be born of a virgin. He was trusting in what God said in his word. He was trusting in God, not what others were saying. It's so easy to trust what others are saying. Put your trust, lean in to what God's saying in his word. Do you trust God in his word when when Jesus says, do not fear? My peace I give unto you. Again, I say, do not fear. 
Do you trust God in his word when he says, when a, if a sparrow cannot fall from a tree without the heavenly father's notice, how much more important are you than a sparrow? Can you trust God in his word when he says he has the hairs of your head numbered? Can you trust God in his word? Because if you can trust God with his word, then you can do what you need to do, and that's obey. If you can trust and obey, that's the way to face your fears. Because our fears are just that which we're putting our faith in someone or somebody else that's not God. You know, there was a king in the Old Testament, Hezekiah. No, another king. I don't, know, don't remember his name. There was a king who got sick, and he died. And a prophet came and said, this is why he wasn't healed. He wasn't healed because the only persons he consulted were the doctors. He never consulted God. God wants to be consulted in whatever you're going through. Trust him. And obey what he's telling you to do. Now look at how Joseph obeys. Um, Verse 20. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. There it is. Don't be afraid. Fear not to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus Because he will save his people from their sins. Look at the way, look at the way God provides for Joseph. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I think one of the reasons we're hesitant to really go all in, put it all on the line, and obey God amidst our own shaken world the way he wants us to obey him is because we don't trust him. (laughs) We don't trust him. Look at the adventure God provided for Joseph. Firstly, God named Joseph's and Mary's son. They didn't have to have that one-year conversation. (laughs) The decision's been made. His name's going to be Jesus. Secondly, God gave and provided for Joseph and Mary a two-year getaway. Can you imagine? Jesus was born. They immediately got away to Egypt to escape uh, King Herod. God provided them a a two-year exit, literally an exodus, to Egypt. All expenses paid the wise men literally brought their Southwest Airline gift cards and all the uh, BJ's and Rubio's and all the Denny's restaurants they would need, all the food certificates. The wise men provided everything for them. God gave Joseph a chance in his future. He would get to pursue the career he wanted, carpentry, in a very obscure community of Nazareth. God knew ahead that he would need to protect Jesus. And so Jesus was raised in a city of Nazareth that that skeptics and archaeologists uh, pondered its existence even until the last century. It was such a small town. But a list of Levitical priests was found in the last century 
late 90s, actually, that listed these priests who had left Jerusalem and gone to Nazareth outside of the Sea of Galilee. God provided so much for Joseph. Not only was he going to have Jesus, he was going to have several, he himself was going to have kids. They would have five sons. All of them are named in Mark's letter. And two daughters, at least two daughters, maybe more. Surely there were more. With five boys, you'd want maybe 15 daughters. Uh, I mean, here's my point, just to keep the boys in control. Here's my point. God had a dream for Joseph he had never dreamed. God had a plan for Joseph he had never planned. But here's the deal. If Joseph had put his trust in what others were saying, he would have never experienced that dream. If Joseph was more concerned about what everyone else thought about him, he would not have had that opportunity to, from his... If Joseph cared so much about the feedback he was getting from his rabbi at his local synagogue or the feedback, maybe what are his parents saying? If he was so concerned about what, uh, what others thought, he might not have had the faith to just trust God at his word and obey. And when you trust God and obey you are going to experience the presence of God in your life, the Holy Spirit in you, that's going to help you just totally chill in the midst of difficulty. I wish we could go to the Middle East right now, just for a moment, around Syria or Iraq, and be around some, and be around some Christians who are really facing difficulty. Because I think what would, we would hear from them, we might hear from them the verse that Jesus shared for people like them in their situation. You might be here today saying, fear, <laughs> let me tell you something, this world's so messed up, these corrupt governing officials, I don't trust any of them. Hey, it's understandable. But they all report to God. Listen to what Jesus said to his followers who would face radical, radical government. He said this, do not fear those who kill the body, but who are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You know who said that? Jesus. Those are Jesus' words. Those aren't the words we normally would associate with, with him. But in the context of persecution, he wants to let everyone know who's really in charge, who really has control. Now, how do you deal with people that, are, that don't like you <laughs> here in our country? I want to ask in with a couple questions. Who is it that you're fearing, trusting, and obeying as the God of your life? Is there someone you've allowed to replace God in your life? You, you fear him more than, than is appropriate. You've given him a place that you shouldn't give him, and they strike a lot of fear in your heart. Let me tell you, God's the one that's in control. In the first century, when Herod the Great's nephew, I believe he was, Herod gave a speech uh, shortly after taking the life of one of Jesus' disciples, James, the oldest of uh, James and John. Herod gave the speech. Everyone said, it was amazing. <laughs> you speak like a god. Herod said, thank you. I feel like one. And the next day, 
the scripture says that Herod was eaten by worms. <laughs> I don't have, I wanted, I looked, I YouTube for video, I couldn't find any. He was eaten by worms the next day. Here's the point. God is the one that keeps everybody accountable. He does. Don't fear those who kill the body, but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Who is it that you're fearing, trusting and obeying as the God of your life? And now, here's the question today. How is God's Spirit prompting you to trust and obey? What's the one act of obedience He's calling you to do? And let me tell you, there's joy there, straight up. If I'm Joseph and God says, take her home as your wife, I'm like, sweet! I mean, yet really? I, if you say it, I'm out of here. Gets to take her home as, as his wife. He makes the decision to not... Uh, pursue, you know, twist her with her. Uh, he decides to honor her. That, it looks like it was a fielder's choice there. He honors her, probably to make certain that everyone knew <laughs> he was a good Joseph. And he probably just did the dishes a lot and kept the house clean and ran probably 10 miles every day. She was no doubt a beautifully God-fearing woman. Uh, that's what a beautiful woman is, someone who loves the Lord and serves him. When we obey, God gives us the best. What is the one act of obedience the Holy Spirit has been asking of you? Really, what is it of you? Is it, is it related to you've made a decision to believe in Christ? Your next steps to be baptized. Have you, have you made that decision, that symbolic proclamation that you're following Jesus? Is it your decision to start serving in the church? Pick up and start serving somewhere. Do something. Get moving. <laughs> is it at Adventure, we're a church that serves passionately? Is it for you, uh, is it starting to pray regularly? Uh, to pray constantly? A, a moment every day. Is it for you, is it, is it uh, to start giving? <laughs> to, to trust God with your giving? What is it for you? Um, maybe it's to start sharing your story, your Jesus story this year. What is the one act of obedience for you that you're going to do this week? Let's confess what it is now. Not out loud, but privately. What is the one act of obedience? How is the Spirit prompting you to trust and obey God this week? What is it? What's the one? Let's just admit it to Him right now. Okay? Not out loud. Let's just admit it to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, huh. Thank you for sending angels, firstly. <laughs> They're cool. Uh, they encourage us to have your perspective. Thank you for teaching us that really a life of obedience is a life of joy. <laughs> Doing what you want us to do for you. And uh, we just ask right now that you would tell us what it is you want us to Obey. What one act of obedience do you want from us? Will you show it to us right now? And if you know it right from where you're at, I encourage you to just own it. Just say, yeah, that's it. That's what I need to be doing right now. <laughs> I need to be mending that relationship. I need to move towards, take a step in that direction, towards that relationship. I need to start taking care of myself. I need to have that conversation with my spouse. We need to talk. <laughs> um, I need to sit down with my kids. 
I need to have an honest, crucial conversation with my supervisor. Man, I just need to reach out and greet a neighbor. Let them know I, I realize they're alive. Whatever it is, I need to read my Bible. I'm afraid of it. I'm always afraid of some of those passages, so I don't even read it. Boy, I need to do that. Heavenly Father, help us not be afraid. Help us truly fear not today.